Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, who is with me as always, but hasn't been with me as always. What do you mean? There is a dark, dark time in my life, Chuck. Oh. I call it the pre-Chuck era. <laughs> You're too kind. And there were um, several, many podcasts that uh, I released mm-hmm. with other people. Um, I don't feel good about it, okay? But I, <laughs> there, it's out there. There's one that always stuck out to me that I was like, this, there's so much more information. You remember like back in the day, we used to try to hit these things at like five minutes. Yeah. To, to say this has evolved is an understatement. Right. Um, so... I, there was one that I was like, five minutes is not enough for this. Let's do something like 37 minutes instead. Right. And um, it, it was Murphy's Law. Yeah. So I wrote this article a long time ago. It was like how Murphy's Law works. Like I was raised on these unnatural laws like the Peter Principle, which we've sure. podcasted on. Mm-hmm. Parkinson's Law, which is um, work expands to fill the time allotted. Yeah. And then Murphy's Law, which is, of course... Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? Yeah. So I was kind of always aware of this, and I pitched this idea, like how Murphy's Law works, mm-hmm. like right after I got here at How Stuff Works, and um, I, I got the assignment and started doing this research. And I found out that there's this awesome backstory to this, which I know you know now, yeah, and have for a while because we made a Toyota commercial <laughs> based on part of it. You're telling me this now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. I guess what I'm saying is I wanted to redo how Murphy's Law works. A reboot. And let's let's do it. And no disrespect to previous podcasters, but this was just too short, you know? Too short, too you short. You can't cover Murphy's Law in five minutes. No, you can't. So here's the expanded version, and we're not going to, like, start rerunning things. Don't worry. There's plenty of topics out there. This one just really kind of, I always wanted to redo this it one. It was stuck in your craw, as yeah. they say. And now it's, <laughs> now it's out. <laughs> it's not your craw. Uh Idiom, Josh. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And uh, you make a good point at the beginning of this. Is it's it's an idiom because we've made it an idiom, and uh, you, you don't notice and make remarks about when things go perfectly right. You might no. feel good and be like, "Hey, everything's coming up roses today," or maybe that's an idiom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not an idiom actually. It's a saying. But you never you don't say you know. Boy, I got in this lane of traffic, and it's just speeding along, and I should make a saying about that. You you can, but very rarely do you. Like, we humans tend to focus more on the negative. Exactly. You know, and that's what Murphy's Law is. It's a focus on the negative. That's right. We look out for the bad, in a way. And Murphy's Law itself, Chuck, is not that old, to tell you the truth. You're right. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't Murphy who originally coined this idea. There was a... Um, there was a something called Sod's Law that's still around in Great Britain, which says... Uh, basically the same thing. Any bad thing that can happen to some poor sod, which is short for sodomite. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Yeah. No comment? No. <laughs> and then there was uh, a, a magician named Adam Hull Shirk, apparently in 1928, wrote something called On Getting Out of Things, an essay on magic. Which he is said, not on the internet. No, it is I not. I looked all over for it. Yeah, I did too, actually. Um, it said, in a magic act, nine out of ten things that can go wrong usually will. And I thought maybe 
Adam was just a bad magician when I read that. <laughs> right. It's like, really? So he he gets credit. Like, just about any origin story of Murphy's Law includes mm-hmm. Adam Holshirk, and it should. But it wasn't called Murphy's Law. No. Um, until a guy, there actually was a guy named Murphy, and he actually did live not too long ago. He died in 1989, I believe. This yeah. article says 1990, but it's 89. Um, you going to go back and change that? I need to. <laughs> and... Um, he was a captain in the Air Force, and he is attributed with not coining Murphy's Law, depending on who you talk to, right? but spurring the idea of Murphy's Law, who, it were, which was coined by somebody else, right? That's so right. Let's, let's set the stage, Chuck. Okay. It's 1949. All right. We're in California. I have we're a scotch at, in my hand. Exactly. We're at um, Edwards Air Force Base. We need to get into the Wayback Machine here. Okay. Oh, man. It's been a while. You ready? Sweet. Buckle up. Okay. So, All right. as I said, 1949, we're at Edwards Air Force Base. Oh, the air's much cleaner. It's very nice. Um, there's Chuck Yeager, right? Wow. See him? Look at him go. Look at him. Uh, and then over there, uh-huh. on that 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 railroad track, uh-huh. it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, is the rocket sled, the G-Wiz rocket sled. That's a neat name. So let's talk about that. Okay. What is it? Well, this was part of the uh, Project MX-981, and they were tests to determine how the body, the human body, reacted to G-force. Yeah. There's a long-standing idea that the human body could withstand 18 Gs, and all airplanes were designed to uh, withstand 18 Gs of force and nothing more, right? Which means that um, they were kind of hamstrung by this magical number. But no one knew exactly where that number came from or if it was true. What's screwy is that they had no way to find out except for these rocket sled tests. That's right. Using a real live human being. Because if you're going to test something, you can't throw a crash test dummy in there. You couldn't in 1949. No, well, yeah, these days they have sensors and uh, actually, not to be pluggy, but Toyota came up with the uh, thing that, that measures total like, human. Uh, Model, model for safety. For safety, yeah. Thumbs. Yes. And it measures internal damage. So like, it's very sophisticated now. But back then, if you wanted to find some of this stuff out, you had to put a human in there. Well, at first they used cadavers. Yeah, but that doesn't Then me. they used dummies, uh, like uh, Sierra Sam. And then in, at the, on the G-Wiz rocket tests, they used um, Oscar A-Ball. But they didn't have sensors for it. No. So they had to use John Paul Stapp, who volunteered who was a really incredible Renaissance man. He's a colonel. Yeah, in the Air Force. He was yeah. a physician. Um, and he uh, he flew around in, a, in an airplane without a canopy. Remember that? I've heard that. Um, he also uh, basically made it his life's work to get seatbelts made mandatory in automobiles. Yeah. So he staged the first ever um, automobile crash test, and he did it at the expense of the Air Force. And the Air Force was like, hey, whoa, what are you doing? What are you expensing these to us for? These are cars. We we fly planes. Right. And he came up with statistics that showed that more Air Force pilots died from car wrecks than from plane wrecks. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay. All right. And that was just the kind of guy he was. Real stand-up dude. He was. Uh, so what he did was he jumped in the G-Wiz, said, hey, I'll do it. I'm Colonel John Paul Staff. Yeah. <laughs> I do this kind of thing. And uh, it would go about 200 miles an hour down a half-mile track and then stop in less than a second. And what they're trying to test is... Say, say that one more time. Go 200 miles an hour and stop in less than a second. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yes. That's basically they're trying to test what might happen in a plane crash. So they were they were finding the force of gravity, how much a human could withstand. And remember, 18 was that magic number. And in very short order, John Paul Stapp withstood 18 Gs and then 20 and then 25. And I think he made it up to 46.26 Gs wow. was the most he experienced. I think of your average, like a, the highest roller coaster, we always go to that. But the roller coaster with the highest acceleration is like 2.7 Gs. This guy did 46.26, and he suffered for it, too. Yeah, big time. Broken uh, bones, uh, concussions, broken blood vessels in his eyes. Yeah, he'd have whiteouts, which oh, is I'm sure. when, when he was going backwards, they'd turn him around sometimes uh-huh. so he wouldn't get the bugs in his face. And he would have whiteouts, which is all the blood is pooling in the back of the head. So he has no blood in his f- eyes, which means he can't see. Right. Or he'd get red out to where all the blood was pulling in the front of his face, and he couldn't see because there was too much blood in his eyes. I wonder if they were like, hey, let's put him sideways and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like a pink out. Yeah, a one eye is red, one is white. Yeah. So uh, this is all going pretty well for Stapp, um, <laughs> if you <laughs> consider that a success. And then Murphy, Captain Murphy, shows up on the scene and says, hey, you know, I've got these sensors that will give you a much more accurate read uh, of the G-force. Right. So let's get my assistant... I don't know why he didn't do it himself. No, it was one of the, uh, this is Project MX-981. It was one of the project's assistants. Murphy yeah, just but showed why up did, himself. Why didn't he do it is what I want to know. I don't know. Because there's another saying, if you want something done right, do it yourself. It's true. And I would have rubbed that in his face. Yeah. They didn't, though. All right. And and supposedly, tell him about the sensors. Well, the, the sensors would give you a more accurate reading, and then the assistant evidently uh, hooked them up wrong, and there are... There was one way to hook up each one of these, and he did it the opposite way for no, each one of these. two ways. Well, there's one correct way. Right. To hook up the sensor. And then he did it the wrong way on every single one of them. Right. And then Murphy said uh, out loud to somebody that if there are two ways of doing something, one of these will result in disaster. He's going to do it that way. Or he said something along the lines of, if there's any way they can do it wrong, they will. Um, it depends on who you talk to. There were living witnesses in 2000 right. when this guy for Improbable Research, who who hosts the Ig Nobel Awards, yeah. um, wrote a, a pretty comprehensive uh, article on it. Um, and he interviewed these people. And they said he roughly said that or he said something like you said. But ultimately, he was grumbling and it was loud enough. And he was saying it about these people that he just met right. who had you know, incorrectly hooked up the sensors. Okay, well, it's... Hook them right and do it again. It's not a big deal. Right. So Murphy, apparently, if you talk to the witnesses, was kind of thought of as a bit of a jerk. That's what I would think. Which is something his son still to this day disputes. He says that that is not in his father's character, that his father was not a jerk, and he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been so rude or boorish. But most of the witnesses say he said something like that. That was the seed. How did the tree come about? The tree came about because uh, Stapp was apparently a pretty gregarious guy obviously if he's taking part in these tests with a plum then he's gonna probably be a pretty fun guy to be around well he had he had two books chuck of um idioms oh yeah one was um it was called stapp's almanac the other was for your moments of inertia and he had already come up with uh, his own little saying stapp's ironical paradox which is the universal aptitude for ineptitude makes any human accomplishment an incredible miracle so he was already 
generally on the lookout for yeah. new bits of wisdom. He's stealing these things from people, basically. <laughs> and he stole it from uh, Murphy in, uh, at a press conference the next day, said, and this is where it, you know, it took off, obviously, because the press conference. He said that, hey, uh, we've, we have a good safety record because we are aware of Murphy's Law, which is whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Right. And they all got a big laugh. So that and the press so said, that's brilliant. And they all ran to the payphones and... And called it in. <laughs> yeah, it makes it into like some aerospace publications, and then it disseminates out. It's just like a just a perfect gem, perfectly encapsulated. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. It's Boom. just a universal truth in unnatural law, right? Yeah. And um, it it kind of gave a kickstart to this whole. There's a trend in the '50s of people being pithy, like yeah. like um, it's cause the Peter drunk. principle. Yeah. And actually, I found out um. Lawrence Peter, who who came up with the Peter Principle, and um, Captain Murphy became lifelong friends. Wasn't that special? In it, um, but it gave rise to all these other ideas, these unnatural laws. It was kind of a trend, like I said, in the fifties and sixties. I think people wanted to put their name on something, right? So uh, I I selected a few out of there's lists on the internet that are just you can scroll for hours and oh, never sure. hit the bottom of these things, right? But um, you want to read some of these? Uh, Itor's observation, the other line moves faster. Which makes sense. Boob's law, you will always find something in the last place you look. Yeah. Uh, what's another good one here? Franklin's rule, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he will not be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, Mencken's law, those who can do, do, those who cannot teach. That was just mean. It is mean. You know? Especially to teachers. It's so disrespectful. Uh, and then Patton, General uh, George S. Patton had a law that a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. Because by then, Charlie's killed you. Right? He wasn't Vietnam. No, but okay. still. <laughs> oh, you just meant a guy named Charlie. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, people obviously like naming things after themselves and coming up with pithy little sayings that people like to say. Right. But there's there, And there's two ways that Murphy's Law can be... Um, Categorized, it can be categorized in the realm of pithy sayings from the fifties and sixties, yeah. like the Peter Principle, mm-hmm. which, as you remember, it did make sense. It had it had some gravity to it. Yeah, the Peter, yeah. Or you can look at Murphy's Law and the coining of it in nineteen forty nine by John Paul Statt as the formulation of the basis for all engineering thought that came after that point. Which yeah. was the creation of fail-safes, yeah. the creation of redundant systems, mm-hmm. and the idea that you should plan for everything going wrong. Yeah. So that if it does go wrong, you it's covered, and the system doesn't it won't break down. Sure. It gave a, a saying to that practice that was already in practice, but people didn't start building fail-safes because of Murphy's Law. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, man. <laughs> well, uh, seatbelts, that's a fail-safe. Uh, yeah. And that is not just from Murphy's Law. That was from Staff himself. That's true. P- he's pushing this legislation through in 1966. True. So let's talk about, like, the principles going on behind Murphy's Law. Fatalism? It's pretty much it. Fatalism is the idea that we are just walking around subject to whatever fate, you know, whatever happens to us, whatever fate dictates. Right. Like if you're in a, a line of traffic, right? Yeah. And you, it seems like all other lines are going except for yours, right? Right. 
you, th- this is explainable. It's explicable. Mm-hmm. Like you're not paying attention to the other lines of traffic when your line is going because you're paying attention to not hit the person in front of you. Right. When you're just sitting there, all you notice is that the other lanes are going. But if you could really statistically explain, you know, how often the, the lanes of traffic are moving, it's probably fairly even. Yeah, probably so. I always kind of, well, actually, I, I go in the lane that I think is going to be moving. But because we're fatalistic, we, we it's like, why? Why does the universe hate me? I'm totally powerless to make traffic move. Right. Uh, and then free will was the opposite. Not, well, not the opposite, but that's the other idea is that uh, we have free will for all of our choices and all of our consequences are due to things that we have made happen. Right. And the, the attendant with free will is the risk of failure. Right. So when we have a 50-50 chance of getting something right, well, we're going to get it wrong. Or we're going to notice mostly when we get it wrong because then we have to do it again. And it's just so much trouble right. to try to put the plug in the right way. Yeah. Right? The three-pong fail-safe plug? Three-pong? Prong? Yeah. It is fail-safe. Yeah, okay. But other prongs, electrical sockets, if you look at them, one's bigger than the other, that's a fail-safe. Nowadays, sure. After Murphy's Law. (laughs) Changed everything. Uh, Another- Before uh, that, it was just deathville for everything. There (laughs) Well, Yeah. Well, there, let me put it to you this way. There was something like um, 25 million licensed motorists in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like 43,000 deaths on the highways Crazy. in like 1960, I think, something like that. Yeah. In 2000, there was 75 million licensed motorists and about as many deaths. So, yeah, when, before Murphy came along... And there were no fail-safes. There were no fail-safes. <laughs> okay. No one had any idea what they were doing. I'll dispute that. But did I ever show you the video of the um, the car crashes, like the old Blood classic car? Blood on the car? asphalt? The what? Blood on the asphalt? Yeah. No. The, uh, they did this uh, high-speed uh, car crashes with an old, like, you know, when you see those old tanks, like, oh, man, back then. Oh, yeah, like an Impala or something? Yeah, like, like those yeah. big old tanks. Those were, like, they were tanks. Because they're tanks. Right. <laughs> and they, I bet you were safe in those right. with seatbelts. But they compared the crash to a modern car, and the old car, man, just, I mean, squashed and crumbled like a tin can. Really? Was, oh, dude. Yeah, because cows, uh, cows, cars are just engineered these days, as are cows. Oh, with crumple zones and things like that? Yeah, man. And it's it might be made of plastic, but it, it's amazing when you watch this thing. Back then, they were huge and made of metal. But at enough impact, that metal just becomes nothing. Yeah. It's pretty I got interesting. You. Speaking of cows being engineered, you remember that cow um, on Millage in Athens that had the porthole in it? So they could like open it up and reach inside and I think fertilize it or they were doing something. I that never cow. saw that, but I've, I've seen I saw that cow. It was crazy. Yeah. Murphy's Law happened to that cow. I wrote about that. They, they have those little portals into their stomachs. Yep. So they can study things like it's that. It's like right there on the side. Yeah. And then also, Chuck, I want to point out Rudyard Kipling, right? He mm-hmm. provides us a good example of that whole why me attitude of humanity and then the mathematical explanation of why you, pal. Right. Rudyard Kipling once lamented that no matter uh, how you drop it, the the bread that you dropped out of your hand onto the floor always falls butter side down, yeah, which means you can't sure. eat it any longer, right? Sure you can. <laughs> and it gives you the vapors. Right. So um, 
if you think about it, a buttered piece of bread is heavier on one side than the other. So thanks to the force of gravity, on right. the way down, the bread's going to flip over. Is that true, though? But it's Yes. But it's heavier on that side. How do you prove this? <laughs> Give me some bread. Well, I just don't. I just wanted this proven and not. Uh, I think it's interesting, but. Well, think about this. I just wonder how much butter would it literally take to cause it to flip over. I'm sure from that how many a, feet. There's a certain amount. Yeah. And I think also this is going to happen more frequently with um, plain untoasted bread and butter. Rather than like toast with butter melted in it. Okay. Which may be distributed evenly throughout the bread. Okay. But the point is, is yes, it's going to flip over, but it's not going to flip back over because the heavier side is now being dragged toward the earth. But if it does fall butter side up, then that's just good luck? That's fate. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, again, there's, there's a uh, certain amount of, I guess, math or science to Murphy's Law. There can be if you really want to look for it. And your name's Joel Pell, right? Yeah, he's he's another fun killer like the laughter guys. I know math people will take issue with that, but I take issue with everything having to be stated as a math formula. Well, this guy, he begs to differ. <laughs> he does. He's a biological engineer at uh, the University of British Columbia. And I think in 2005, he came up with Murphy's Equation which basically he figured out how to quantify the probability that things will go wrong when they can go wrong, right? Are you going to read it? It's well, pretty impossible to read out loud. Yeah, I don't I don't think I can because what's the opposite of to the something power when it's like down below into the right rather than up into the right? I have no idea. Well, basically he figured out that he, the importance of the event, I, times the complexity of the system involved, C, times the urgency of the need for the system to work, U plus the frequency the system is used equals P, the probability that the Murphy's law will kick in. Right. And one is definite. I think 10 is, it's not going to happen. And somewhere in between is it might happen, it might not. So what he did was he basically plugged in the, um, the possibility of his clutch going out in a rainstorm 60 miles, 100 kilometers from his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came up with an answer of one, which means that his clutch was definitely going to go out. And he further demonstrated that with, now that he's stranded out in the rainstorm and he needs to get somewhere by foot, mm-hmm. he needs his flashlight to work. Um, what's the, what's the probability that Murphy's Law will happen and the flashlight right. will be out? He plugged it in and came up with a one again. So he very facetiously <laughs> po- proved that Murphy's Law is real and his equation worked. I hope this guy got stuck in a rainstorm without a flashlight. That's what I hope. Well, poor Joel Pell. I know. I had to um, correspond with him for this. Oh, really? Yeah, I had to get permission to use his uh, equation. And he said, mm, hey, sure. He was a cool dude. Was he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right. So, Chuck, we talked about like prongs being designed with fail-safes. Seatbelts are a fail-safe. Diesel pump. Nozzles, mm-hmm. they're, they are designed at a wider diameter than regular gas pumps, so you can't fit it in your gas tank. Did you know that? Yeah, that wasn't always the case, though, because I put diesel in a, in a truck one time when I shouldn't have. Right. And when did it start? After Murphy's Law became widespread. <laughs> it started in the mid-90s, I think. Yeah. Or that's the last time I screwed up like that. What you got? Uh, I got nothing else. All right. Thank well, God for fail-safe, so. Thank God for John Paul Stapp and Captain Edward A. Murphy, Jr. I have a Chuck's Key law. 
I got uh, my two house keys. I have a outer security, like a clear door, okay. and then my regular door. Yeah. Two different keys that look the same on my dog leash. Yeah. I will almost a hundred percent of the time I use the wrong key. I'll bet if you paid attention to it, you use the wrong key about fifty percent of the time. No. That's Murphy's law. Well, then something's up. I also have my directional thing. I have a poor sense of direction. Do and you? Almost. Oh, dude, it's awful. I didn't know that. Almost 100% of the time, I will go the wrong way if faced with a choice. Should I go this way or that way? And if I try to trick myself and go, I want to go right, then I'm going to go left. It was right. Nice. That's Murphy's Law, too. I know. <laughs> and it ruins my life. But you can't just hijack Murphy's Law and slap your name on it. Those are Chuck's, that's Chuck's key law and Chuck's law of direction. Right. That's Murphy's <laughs> law. All right. If you want to learn more about Murphy's law and read my article on it, it was one of the first articles I wrote. I like it. Um, you can type in Murphy's law in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you for listening to this one twice. Yeah. Thanks for doing it with me, man. Well, it was, it was due. We were due for this one. Yeah. Um, I th- think I said handy search bar, didn't I? I think so. All right. Well, that means it's time for what? Uh, We're going to wind up the old Facebook Ask Jock and Chuck questions. Yeah. And people did so. You always get like a hundred of them in a couple of minutes and have to shut it down. (laughs) Yeah, people want to know. All right. So let's just run through some of these, Josh. You got one? No, go ahead. All right. uh, Who's your favorite Simpsons character who is not a Simpson? What's yours? Man, I even saw this one yesterday, and I, I didn't... It's so hard. Uh, I liked Lionel Hutz a lot. He was good. Yeah. Um, I like uh, I like the whole Flanders family. Yeah. I think Ned's a great complex character. Like the one where he has the nervous breakdown, Yeah. and it turns out he was part of a, a spanking <laughs> protocol research study. I like it when he's occasionally ripped. Yes. Yeah. Well, he is all the time. It's just sometimes he's wearing a shirt. Well, the yeah, but he's clearly different when, like, when, when he's in the ski suit than when he's in his sweater. <laughs> yeah, that ski suit one was hilarious. Stupid, sexy Flanders. What about yours? Uh, I'm going to go with a, a cop-out. I'm going to go with a pair with uh, Ralph and, and uh, Chief Wiggum. Yeah, they're good. Pretty good. Yeah. Or Smithers and Flanders. I mean, that's those two, those are hard to beat as a, as a duo. I mean, you can't leave out Seymour Skinner. Yeah, or a boo. Yeah. Or Barney. We can keep doing this for hours. <laughs> Actually, I like Mo. Are you a Mo fan? Yeah, huge Mo fan. Okay. All right, we could do this for hours. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Chuck, do you have a job outside of the podcast? Um, I do. I'm the chef and housekeeper at my home. I think they mean here. Oh, no. Do you not? Since when? Oh, well, yeah, sure. We write stuff. Yeah. Right now. Blog, mm-hmm. write quizzes, Do uh, we, we manage Facebook and Twitter. We manage the stuff you should know, Brian. Yeah. Uh, what do you want written on your tombstone? Uh, I don't, you go ahead. Uh, how about died tragically rescuing his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship? I had a suspicion you were going to say that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, oh, that was from I know Kelly, Kelly Cronley, I'm sorry. And Drew Klinkle asked about The Simpsons. Thanks, Drew and Kelly. On my tombstone, I want to say weather. <laughs> uh, this is from Trash Goblin Toby. Is this from Twitter? I guess it is. Have you seen Hodgman's mustache in real life? 
And is it as scary as I have heard it is? <laughs> We've both seen Hodgman's mustache in real life. It accidentally brushed my shoulder, and I was like... Really? What's that? No. Okay, I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> no. Uh, it is not scary. I think John wears it well. Yeah. And it's not uh, an ironic mustache. Uh, he's grown his hair out a little bit. Yeah, he's turned all hippie, hasn't he? Yeah, it's kind of fun. He's like Wooderson. <laughs> I like it. Uh, let's see. Could it be... Po- this is from How Awesome Is Joe, a.k.a. Joe from Twitter. Okay. Uh, could it actually be possible for a human to be raised by apes like Tarzan? Uh, I would say the answer is undeniably yes. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to wind it up for my last one with um, something people ask a lot. What does COA mean? And that is from Joseph Goebbels. No, do not explain it. That's a trick. He's been trying to figure it out forever, and if he can't do it on his own, he he has to figure it out on his own, Chuck, or else he's never going to learn. All right. Uh, sorry, Joseph. <laughs> that was a smackdown. Um, what's our favorite episode, Chuck? Of what? Of Stuff You Should Know. Oh, I thought we were on The Simpsons. Oh, man, I get asked this a lot. I have. It's always different. Today I'm going to go with... Uh, um, lobotomies. That's a good one. What, you? Nothing? No. None of them? <laughs> it's, it, there's just so many. I know, it's hard to choose. Like, yeah. I'll look through occasionally and spot ones. You're like, oh, that's a good one. I know, oh, and think that, one. because we're always asked this, and I always say the same, like, five things. Like, oh, lobotomies, body farms, well, cannibalism. Look, you know what, um... I recently listened to Why Doesn't the FDA Regulate Herbs, I think I was telling you. Good one. And it that is worth listening to again. All right. Some people, you know, are making their way through again. They've already made it through, and they've made it through. They're making it through, again, the whole catalog. I'm looking at you, OMG Chris. There's a name for people like that, Josh. Masochists. <laughs> Super fans. Same thing. Yes. Uh, if you are a super fan, we want to hear from you always. We're pretty friendly guys, so we'll say hi back usually. Um, if we don't, don't take it personally. Keep saying hi. We read your we emails, eventually. Bo Show, and not, we, we not answer a lot of them. Twitter? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's S-Y-S-K Podcast is our Twitter handle. We're on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Um, and you can send us email, like you just mentioned, to Stuff Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?